0: Well, good evening, everybody. It's great to see you tonight. We want to continue with our study of the Apostles' Creed, and we are on number two. We began last week. Uh, Those of you that may just be getting back with us uh, for the new year, you've only missed one session. We spent last week talking about um, what the creeds were, that there are several creeds. just about everything you say about the creed you have to qualify. Um, I said last week there are five major creeds and dozens of other creeds. Uh, Some people would say there are three major creeds, but um, I think we can say three to five major creeds that have affected church history. We talked about where they came from, that creeds are not equal to Scripture, and they do not determine Scripture, but they are, for lack of a better term, a summary of statement of what's in the Scripture. Last week I gave you the old version, the ancient version of the Apostles' Creed. And you remember we said that the Apostles' Creed was, there was the Didache, there was the faithful sayings. But the Apostles' Creed is the earliest creed, goes back to the middle of the second century. Um, It was basically a summation of the teaching of the Apostles, not written by them, but written by. Followers of the, of the apostles that were just a generation or two removed. Um, we, we want to give you from here on out, we want to study it in the modern version. It doesn't change anything, but it does clarify a little bit, I think. Um, and here's a modern version of the Apostles' Creed. We're focusing on the first uh, two lines tonight. You remember last week we said when we study the Apostles' Creed, there will be five lessons. Um, we talk about the God we serve, uh, the Savior he sent, the Spirit that he poured out, the church that he established, and the future he has ordained. Those are the five areas of the Apostles' Creed. Um, <clears throat> so it reads like this I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. So tonight we're talking about the God we serve. But it goes on from there. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The old, the ancient version says he descended into hell. And we'll talk about that. There's a doctrine called the harrowing, where it says that Jesus went into hell and emptied it of those. That, that believed, um, others believe that the Scripture teaches simply that He went into the grave, that He died a literal death. We'll talk about that when, um, well I guess next week when we get to the, the, the Savior part. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Whence He shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church. The Old Version says Holy Catholic Church. And just for the sake of clarity, Catholic means universal. But whenever we we use the word Catholic today we tend to think of uh, Catholic Church as a denomination. Well, Catholic Church doesn't think of itself as a denomination, but we, we, we for our purposes define it as such. Um, but we we believe in the universal church um, that was called the Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Father, please help us tonight. Um, Lord, this is new territory for a lot of us. Some of us have never had a study of the uh, Apostles' Creed. Some of us, in fact, were taught that the, the creedal uh, confessions were uh, not necessarily of God and not necessarily born out of faith. And we've been taught to kind of shy away from these things, but they've served a vital purpose through the years. Um, creeds are not perfect. Creeds are not always expressing what they ought to express. But most of them that we study, the Apostles' Creed included, has truth at its core, at its foundation, so help us to understand what the early church believed. Help us to follow you and to, and to let our study of the creeds increase our devotion to you and our honoring of the Word. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now um, when we talk about the God we serve, there are basically two things that we want to talk about. We, we, uh, well, three things actually. We want to talk about The idea of the one true God. We want to talk about the idea of belief. What does faith in relation to God mean? And then we want to talk a little bit about his attributes. Uh, In other words, what are his characteristics? What are some key things we need to understand about God? I need to say this, lest I forget to say it later. We do not believe that everything worshipped is just a different picture of the one true God. Um, we don't believe, uh, and this, boy, this is going to be this is going to be very controversial. Heard outside of this circle, but we don't believe that Allah is just another name for the one true God. We don't believe that uh, Eastern deities or Hindu gods or goddesses, in any way, shape, or form, are just another expression of the one true God. We believe that there is uh, one God expressed through the Scripture, typified by Jesus Christ. And we, we believe further, this is a New Testament teaching that might surprise you, um, when, when we say that we believe the same God as the Jews, we do believe that. But we even go a step further in Christianity, and we say things like this because it's in the Scripture, He that has the Father has the Son. And he that has the Son has the Father. And New Testament takes it a step further. Um, It's not even enough to to know the true and the living God, but to not serve Him on on His terms. If that was the case, then Jesus is optional. But we'll talk about that. Uh, There's the one true God. We'll talk about the nature of belief, and then we'll talk about some of His characteristics. It may surprise you Um, to hear me say this, but one of the things that we really need, uh, rekindled in the church of Jesus Christ is a basic understanding of who God is and how we serve him. Um, we, we really have bought into a a misrepresentation and a lie that says that, um, religion is man-made. I just love Jesus. Um, there is a lot of man-made religion, but we have to be careful of a of a religion or of a spirituality that divorces Jesus from religion and divorces Jesus because religion is just the expression of our uh, uh, devotion to God. Um, we are we have seen in the last few years now, most of them are in decline now. But in the last uh, 30 years or so, we've seen a rise of churches that said doctrine doesn't matter. And I I, I think, I want to be fair, I think what a lot of them were saying is that denominational identity doesn't matter. I think that's what a lot of them were trying to say. Um, We've said that. We are an Assemblies of God congregation, but we're not trying to build the kingdom of the Assemblies of God. Uh, we it's It is who we have affiliated with. It is who we have grown out of. But our identity is not found in the Assemblies of God. Our identity is found in the Kingdom of God. But I think a lot of churches have tried to say, listen, we don't think we have to be Methodist for God to bless us, or Assembly of God for God to bless us, or Baptist for God to bless us. I think that is a good thing to say. But a lot of times they inadvertently come across as saying, the doctrines of the church don't really matter, and that simply is not true. It's simply not true. Um, I don't know that any denomination is right on every single point. Now, every year at credential renewal time, if you're an Assemblies of God minister, you better say we are. But I'm not sure that anybody, and I'm saying that with my presbyter here, but. I'm not sure that any denomination has it right. Uh, it's in, in, totally. Quit writing down, Justin. Um, <laughs> no, I tease it. Um, but what we do is we do our best to, to find the place we believe God wants us. We, find, we try to do our best to serve Him within that fellowship that He has placed us. So, um, I, I, I think the Church of Jesus is moving away from a, from a, a flirtation that we've had over the last 30 years with the idea that denominations are dead and um, um, anything that speaks of structure is is unpleasing to God. I think we are finding out that denominationalism ought to be dead. But um, I tell you one of the beautiful things about Protestantism is that we have the ability. To follow what we believe is righteous interpretation of Scripture. And I want, I want to tell you that there have been a lot of expressions of denominationalism that have been wrong. But denominations have kept a lot of people out of trouble, too. They've kept us in the place of God's grace. Um, not that it was necessary, but God used it. Now, let's talk about the one true God, Uh, and this is going to be a little overlapping with what we are going to talk about Sunday. Um, But when we talk about the one true God, um, we believe that inherent with that idea is number one, nothing is to be added. When we come to God, we come to Him on the revelation of Scripture. And nothing is to be added. There is a, um, an, an event, a phenomena in religion called syncretism. And what, what that means, you know, like if you synchronize your watches, we make sure we're all saying the same thing. But that, but that synchronization in religion is not a positive thing. It's an attempt to make every religion essentially say the same thing. Or, To create a religion that brings all religions together. And so that's why you go to some places in the world and you have a wonderful teaching about Jesus mixed with voodoo or mixed with all kinds of strange doctrine. And I'll tell you that our missionaries that we support, the battle that they fight all around the world is the idea of uh, of syncretism, the idea that um, uh, yeah, you can preach the gospel in Africa, but you have to respect the tribal religions, and you can't you can't ignore the tribal religions. You have to make them a part of the cross. Now, it's one thing. Boy, I feel like I'm going too much detail, but it's one thing to be um, sympathetic toward a culture. Um, Hudson Taylor, um, the Probably, arguably the greatest missionary to China that has ever lived uh, back in the 1800's. Um, one of the breakthroughs that Hudson Taylor had was, I'm going to grow my hair like the Chinese men and I'm going to dress like the Chinese people. And so here is this Englishman running around with what was the style in the time, the little pigtail and the Chinese clothing. And what he found is that dressing like them Learning their language, wearing my hair like them, opened doors that were not open to other English missionaries. But it's one thing to, to grow a pigtail, it's another thing to worship the ancestors and try to incorporate that into Christianity. So uh, when we start our, our, our 10 foundational words this Sunday, um, the, based on the 10 commandments, the first word that we'll, we'll grab hold of is the word embrace. And God, is, is, you know, the first commandment is this worship the one true God. Worship the one true God. Now, the second commandment will say you can't make any idols, you can't have any other gods. But the first one says that we're to worship the one true God. We don't add anything to the doctrine of God, and nothing can be changed. And I know this is, this is so contrary to what we're taught in Western civilization today, especially in America. But we can't blend our faith with anything else. And we can't change our faith because we don't like a perspective or we don't like a view. Um, I, I think this may be a good way to put it. I do not know everything there is to know about God. You say, well, if you read your Bible more, you would. No. Let me let me tell you, I, I believe in the authority of Scripture. I believe in the value of the Word of God. But we are absolutely crazy to think that God can be reduced to a book. I mean, He is so much bigger than the book. I would say this, we need to know everything the book says. But even if we do, if we have the whole thing memorized, we still don't know everything there is to know about God. Um, I, I I have well, let's keep going, I may not understand all that I do know about God. Okay? Not only do I not know it all, what I do know I may not understand fully. But what I do know I embrace in faith unapologetically. Um, we have created a, 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 a Christianity that our goal is to say, I understand but the Bible goal is to say, "I believe," and if we don't understand, we will continually fiddle with it until we destroy it. That's why um, I think it was sixty-two percent of evangelical churches uh, said that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Um, that's why they say that um, not the, that the Bible sixty two percent approximately say the Bible contains the Word of God, but the Bible is not the Word of God in other words you 've got to go through and decide this and that and it manifests itself for two thousand years of church history uh, history it's done the same thing we do the same things over and over again the writer of Ecclesiastes was right there's nothing new under the sun um, but we go through these cycles. We do things like call the teaching of Scripture that we don't understand or, or causes us to stretch, we call it myth. If it, if it contradicts science, we call it myth. And right now uh, there's a young cadre of theologians that are doing everything in their power to make young Christians understand it doesn't matter if God really created the heavens and the earth. Doesn't matter if there really was an Adam and Eve. And when there's something that stretches our faith, we dismiss it and call it myth. Or what we do um, with with that is um, if it contradicts science, we say that, well, science proves this, so our faith must be mistaught or misunderstood. And we need to understand that when we talk about the teaching of Scripture we are talking about a, a, a truth that has been in the words of Jude once in all, and all, and Peter once and all delivered to the saints. But you've got to understand science changes every couple of generations. Uh, it, it's, it's frighteningly ignorant to run theology through the grid of science, that changes every few generations, and there's no telling what science will discover in the next hundred years. But if our faith contradicts science, we willingly lay down our faith in an attempt to be scientifically appropriate. Now I know I'm sounding very old-fashioned, and that's because I am. <laughs> but if we're if we're going to understand. If, if we could begin to understand how honored the concept of God the Almighty Father was to not only Christians, but to Old Testament saints, we, we, would, we would be amazed. You know, when we get to the third foundational word it would, that uh, that is the third commandment tells us not to take the name of the Lord in vain, um, it's, it's talking about more than cursing. It's talking about God's name being so revered and honored that uh, we would never think of doing what happened in Romans 1. Let me tell you about uh, the, the copies that we have of the Old Testament Scriptures that, that, that go back, and back to the era of the council at Jamnia and, and the Masoretic text. And when you go back, what you've got is you've got a group of men that were so devoted... To the proper translation of God's Word that they wrote, when they copied the Scripture they would stop, after they did a page they would stop and they would count the vowels on every line. They'd count the vowels in their document they were copying from. They would count the consonants in that same line from the document they were copying from. They would count the total letters. They would count the spaces and line by line the numbers had to add up to be sure they had not left out a, a single letter or misinterpreted with a, with a consonant, I mean with a vowel point that should not have been there or was improperly translated. Um, and not only would they, would they do that, when they came to the point where they would write the name of God, they would put their pen down, they would take a fresh pen which would you know would be dipped in, in ink or the equivalent thereof. And then they would write the name of God after praying over the pen. And then they would take the pen that had just written the name of God and lay it to the side and never use it again because it had written the name of God. You see, and then when we have scholars today, tell us that, well, the Bible is just a collection of stories. Words don't matter. Um, uh, and, and, you know, William Barclay, a, a man that I believed loved Jesus, but he says it doesn't really matter if Jesus was born of a virgin. It doesn't matter if Jesus actually performed miracles. All that matters is that we love him. Loved ones, I want to tell you, statements like that create the, a doorway to apostasy. And we are in the minority. We are a very small slice of the pie. But I'm telling you, the remnant church that God is going to use, one of the first things that's happening in the remnant church is we're rediscovering the authority of the Bible. And as we reclaim the authority of the Bible, one of the first things that we're readdressing is the holiness of God. Let me tell you the way. This system treats God, and you'll understand the danger. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. This is in your notes, right? Romans 1. Uh, Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. And what Paul is saying here is he's going to make this case. We understand the revelation of God by creation, we understand the revelation of God by our conscience. And then, as the writer of Hebrews would say, in these last days, uh, also through Scripture. And then he says, in these last days, the 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 punctuation points have been added through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, He says, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, this is where we get that phrase where we says the Scripture says God made us in His image, but Romans 1 says we've made God in our image. In the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures, therefore, and this is why, this is why a disregard for the, the seriousness of Scripture is so danger, dangerous. Therefore, God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is to be blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Let me stop here and say this. If you read uh, 2 Thessalonians 2. When Antichrist comes on the scene, what you will find is that the distressing cause of deception on earth is that men and women refuse to believe the truth. So God turned them over to a reprobate and deceived mind. It's a dangerous thing, Second Thessalonians 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's a dangerous thing for us to not take the, the words of Scripture seriously. Um, I, I, and I want to tell, especially our, 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 well, our youth are in the other building. I guess I should say our SCSL students, and those of you that are that are young Christians, be careful what you listen to, be careful whom you listen to, and uh, and understand that um, you need you really need to be led by the Holy Spirit instead of just opening your heart to everything that's on the web. It's a dangerous place to be. Um, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. This has been prosecuted as hate speech. In about five countries around the world. Uh, We need to pray for our nation that preaching against sin is never legislated as hate speech. Um, um, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips. It's almost like he's like all of this horrible stuff. It says, and they're gossips. Um, But but it's true. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, And although they knew the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. This is one of the most scathing portions of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Romans 1 is absolutely scathing. And where it comes from is very simply this we have a revelation of the one true God. That we do not like. I don't mean me and you. I mean mankind. We do not like. So we change and create God in our own image. We create a God that is uh, acceptable. We create a God that is uh, politically correct or has a better Now I know this is hard. And when you read passages like this we must not forget that our motivation and our driving force is the love of God. But we also have to understand that the love of God doesn't mean we compromise what the Scripture teaches. So we we must understand that the Apostles' Creed first of all says, we believe, I believe in Almighty God The the Father Creator of heaven and earth. Now let's talk about that word belief. As we referred to briefly last week, belief is not merely intellectual assent, but belief is exhibited biblically as trust, reliance, and commitment. Now, those are the three big words: trust, reliance, and commitment. But there's another phrase. Uh, It's the idea of a a preposition, which gives you the idea of a proposition. In other words, um, we have trust, reliance, and commitment, but it's toward something. It's not a vague, um, uh, you know, I believe God. I mean, I believe in God. But but what does that mean? You know, uh, one of my favorite actors is... uh, is Morgan Freeman. And I, I was listening to an interview with him one time and somebody asked him, do you believe in God? And I was thrilled when he said yes, until he qualified his answer. He said, but when I say I believe in God, I mean, I believe we all have a spark of divine in us and we are all God to one degree or another. That's, that's, That may be trust, reliance, and commitment, but it's toward the wrong thing. Um, Therefore, loved ones, the Apostles' Creed by its explanation and teaching tells us that faith must have a definite object, an explainable purpose, and a measurable outcome. It's not just vague, I believe, you know. I've got a sticker on my truck of Bigfoot and it says, I believe, you know, but, um, which is kind of a family joke, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not just, I believe, yeah, I think it's there. You know, it's like we said last week that, um, um, J.I. Packer said, he said, you can believe in, in aliens, but never go looking for one. He said, you can believe in democracy, but never vote. In other words, what he was saying is to have an intellectual ascent towards something is not biblical belief. It's got to be with a definite object, an explainable purpose, a measurable outcome. What is um, And a synonym for belief is the word faith. What is the definite object? Jesus the Messiah. Our faith is in Jesus, but Jesus as Messiah, as Savior. Um What's the explainable purpose? The redemption of spirit, soul, and body. Okay? And it's expressed, the measurable outcome, in one passage of Scripture, it says it refers to the Christian life as the salvation of your souls. So faith is in a person who is on a special mission of redemption for us, fallen man, spirit, soul, and body. And the measurable result of it is that as we commit our lives to Him, we are forgiven and we grow into the image of Christ. Faith and belief does not mean that we know everything about God, but it means that we embrace what we do know about Him. You see, we 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 worry too much about what we don't know. And we, we, we cheat on what we don't understand. But that's not the question. The question is, have you embraced what you do know about Him? Mark Twain was brilliant when he said it. He said, there's a lot of the Bible I don't understand. He said, but that's not what bothers me. What bothers me are the parts of the Bible that I do understand. He, I don't know that he ever became a Christian. He might have been. But he had an understanding of how faith works. Um, now, I, I'll stop here because I'm going to sp- speak more specifically about that Sunday. Um, I cannot tell you how important it is. I cannot tell you new Christians how important it is. I cannot tell you youngest generation. I forget what each Generation is called XYZ, uh, apostrophe M, or whatever. Um, uh, I, I can't remember what each generation is. They keep changing and moving the boundaries. But I tell you what it does mean. True Christianity, the Apostles' Creed, and true Christianity says this we accept a God as he is revealed to us, not as we recreate him. Um, Now let's talk about what we do know about God from Scripture. Uh, Number one, we know He is Almighty in regard to His attributes. Almighty. Um, There are three words that kind of summarize this idea of Almighty. One is omnipotent, that means God is all-powerful. Two is um, omnipresent, that means God is everywhere. Um, The third word is omniscient, uh, that means He is all-knowing. Or aware of all things. Now I want to say this when we talk about God being omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient. Um, In Philippians 2 the Bible teaches, the Greek word is the word kenosis. And it is translated as the self-emptying of Christ. When you read Philippians 2 the Bible says that Jesus emptied Himself uh, allowing Himself to be thought of as less than God. In order to bring redemption to our souls. And um, we need to understand that Jesus at no point ceased being God. And we need to understand that Jesus, some some Christian branches teach that Jesus was just a regular guy that lived life so well that he became a God. And none of that is true. He was fully God and fully man. He wasn't half and half. He was fully both. You say, well, I can't understand that. That's my point. That's what I was trying to say earlier. It doesn't matter if we can believe it. I mean if we can understand it. What matters? Do we put our, our arms around it and and embrace it as truth? Um, you say, well, how, how did Jesus empty himself? We believe that Jesus emptied himself of this idea of of the almightiness of God. Um, and i know this is going to rattle some of you and it, it it only took me about 25 30 years to really embrace it but what you know what jesus did his miracles he did by his faith in the father now i know in some measure it was because of who jesus was that he performed miracles there were signs that were attached to his mission i understand that But uh, it's important that we understand that Jesus resisted temptation. Jesus lived a sinless life. And He didn't cheat to do that. He lived as a human being, as a full human being, to show us the way we should live. And nobody's ever done it. Nobody's ever done it except Him. Um, For instance, Jesus was not everywhere at once. He was limited by, that was a limiting I personally believe when he said, "No man knows the time of the return. Even the, the angels in heaven don't know. Even the sun doesn't know." I don't think we've got Jesus in heaven saying, "Well, I wonder when I'm going back." I think that was part of his emptying. As as man, he did not know all of the mysteries because he had given those things up. And we've got to understand that Jesus did. We don't know that he knew everything. Um, he discerned very much it's hard for us to grasp because we can't think of Jesus being less than we've been taught to believe he was but Jesus according to Philippians 2 said that equality with God is not something that i must cling to at all costs i will lower myself to the status of man though he was fully god we can't comprehend it we can't understand it um You know, uh, Peter Wagner used to talk about how how difficult it is to hold two truths that are opposite of each other at the same time. He said, for instance, he said, I got so mad at my wife one time and he said, I just, I blasted her. He said, I don't know how God could make you so beautiful and so stupid at the same time, which is not a good compliment to pay your wife. And his wife explained the theological mystery to him. She said, "He made me beautiful so you would marry me. He made me stupid so I'd marry you." You know. And, uh, I, I don't, I don't know that we want to pursue that. That probably won't be on a on a refrigerator magnet in, in your home. But. But loved ones, there is a great mystery, not mystery as in something suspect, mystery as in beyond our understanding when we talk about the incarnation, how he can be fully God and fully man. What was it that he emptied himself of? He was never less than God, but in another sense he was never more than man as far as his relation uh, and it's beyond our ability to understand. I, I feel like I'm not saying it well. I'm not doubting the deity of Christ, not for a minute. I'm just saying there's, a, there's part of the mystery of Christ that is unexplainable to us, and incomprehensible by us. But it was true nonetheless. So, He's Almighty in regard to His attributes. He's Trinitarian in His existence. That means He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, It's important, and the creed made it important. You say, Well, where are you talking about the creed does this and that? We're talking about the teaching that came from the creed for hundreds of years. Um, uh, The creed wants us to understand that He is Almighty God, who is our Father. And as you work through the creed, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, there's God the Holy Spirit. you say, I, Pastor, that just blows my mind. I can't understand it. Sounds like there's three gods. Well, Israel would have gone to pieces if, if, they, if in fact, that's what Judaism has trouble with Christianity. They think we teach three gods. We do not teach three gods. Um, in fact, in Deuteronomy, where is it, chapter five or six, the Shema, hear O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That's the creed of Israel. He is the one true God. Um, But in some measure that we do not fully understand. He manifests Himself as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There are not three gods, yet they are distinct from each other. You have the Father saying, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased, speaking of Jesus on the earth. And the Spirit comes in the form of uh, of a dove. They are distinct, but they, they're not, they're, they, they cannot be separate from each other. We've tried to talk about an apple, you know, the core and the fruit and the peeling, but it's easy to detach those three things from each other, and they still exist. Or an egg, you know, um, the, the white, the yolk, and the shell, but you can detach those things. They still exist. We've even talked about water. It can be solid, it can be gas, it can be liquid, but it has to change from one to the other. I think the closest thing that we can come up with um, to understand the Trinity is the concept of time and space. Um, And I want to say this I'm not even sure this is adequate, but this is the closest that I've ever uh, come across. time is made up of past, present, and future. The past is not the present, the present is not the past, the the future is not the past, the future is not the present. Past, present, and future are absolutely different from each other, but they can't exist without each other. When you take away past, there's no concept of present or future. Time can only be understood in past, present, and future. So when you take away one of those dynamics, you no longer have time. Uh, Space is a little bit the same way. You you have length, height, and depth, but length is not height, and height is not depth, and depth is not length. But you can't have length without depth. And you can't have height without length. Um, That's the closest thing we can come up to But I want to tell you that there are some Christians that say even time and space are bordering on heresy. They say there is nothing like it on the earth. We have nothing to compare it to. And I think they're right. I think time and space kind of points us in a direction. But we need to understand that the the Christian God is Father, Son, and Spirit, but He is one. And it goes beyond our ability to understand. But it does not go beyond our ability to believe. And I know I'm sounding like I'm trying to send us back. You know, it's sort of like when Billy Graham was in seminary. You know, I told you about the professor that told him if he'd leave the blood out of his preaching, he'd do far better. And in in his graduation sermon, he was told... Mr. Graham, if people pay attention to your preaching, you will set the church back a hundred years. And Billy Graham said, all due respect, sir, I want to set the church back 2,000 years. There are some things worth going back to. And if something has not been understood but has been believed for 2,000 years and even going back into the Old Testament we need to understand that we may, when we try to move beyond that, we may be, like Paul said to the Romans, professing ourselves to become uh, to be wise, we become fools. So um, he's Trinitarian in his existence. He's familial in his relationship. He is father. You say, well, why didn't he do mother? I don't know. I know there's a couple of passages where he talks about as a mother cares for her, Newborn child, the Lord cares. I, I understand that, but he—he he is definitely referred to as our Father. I was going to bring some examples tonight. The—the um, the new names for the Trinity—they um, are absolutely lunacy and crazy. Um, people say we must move away from Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they come up with all kinds of things. I'll try to remember to bring that next week and read it to you. <coughs> Um, I, 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 and I don't want to be offensive in, in what I'm about to say, but I, I, I know that we need to understand the role of women, but we need to be careful of things like radical feminism that try to make God feminine in His existence when that's not a model that He chose for us. And, and I realize that there is a misogyny that is absolutely wrong, but I'm telling you it's not up to the church to keep up with fallen society in trying to explain God. Um, he is the loving creator who establishes His sovereignty and our place in relation to all that is created. The reason the, Apostle, uh, the Apostles' Creed um, use that language so strongly, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. They could have said so many things, but the idea of God who is Almighty, God who is um, our Father, and God who is the Creator of Heaven and Earth, that puts things on the table that can't be brought back. Um, if you don't believe God is the Creator of Heaven and Earth, then you don't believe that man has done any, is in his special in any respect, mankind I'm talking about, except we're at the top of the food chain right now. Um, but when you understand that God is Creator of Heaven and Earth and that He created us for a special purpose in a special way and we hold a special place, uh, abortion never should be an argument in the church. Euthanasia should never be an argument in the church because we understand the value of human life. And I think we ought to take care of it. I don't even like chopping on a tree unnecessarily, you know. I've, I've read Lord of the Rings and there are ints out there, you know. <laughs> But um, I, I, and I certainly don't believe in abusing animals, but I, I I'm I'm not I'm not going to say that the life of the Tennessee snail darter is is equal to the life of a human, and we need to understand that we hold a position of great honor that holds great responsibility, but it's because we are created by God as the ultimate. Um, expression of his creation so who is the god that we serve he is almighty he is expressed in father son holy spirit he is relates to us as our father and he is the loving creator and that tells us two things about him it speaks of his authority we like to use the word sovereignty it speaks of his authority and it's and um, um, it it speaks in terms of his um, well, I guess you could still call it authority. His right to place an importance on us that science is going out of its way to deny right now. Um, I want to I want to wrap it up tonight, talking a little bit about sovereignty, and then uh, I'm, I'm going to be through here. Um, and I know, by the way, I know Apostles' Creed's a little heavy. I know it's a little heavy, but it's um, it's it's, uh, it's it's one person put it this way: studying the Apostles' Creed is studying the the, the black hole of the universe. It, it's so heavy. Do uh, you know that if you had what constitutes a black hole, and this is old science, this is forty-year-old science. I don't. I don't even know if, they, if there's a clear definition of it now, but they said if you had a, a, a one-inch cube of dark hole material, it's so dense. You know, you know, black hole. Even light at one hundred eighty-six thousand miles, you know, can't can't pull away from it. it. It is so dense that if you could somehow hold this one-inch cube in your hand and just let it fall, it would go all the way through the Earth. All the way through the earth, come out on the other side. We we can't imagine that kind of denseness. Sometimes the Apostles' Creed feels like it's that thick, like it's that dense. But uh, I want to talk to you about this this idea of God's sovereignty and God's um, authority. There is a great mystery. Now, this is let me back up to number one. When we talk about God's authority. A lot of people say, well sovereignty means God can do anything. Um, I don't, first of all I don't think there is a doctrine more misunderstood in the Bible than sovereignty. Um, The Bible does not explain what sovereignty is. We put our own definitions on sovereignty. In fact uh, if you read the NIV you will read sovereign over 300 times. But it's because the NIV Changes um, uh, Almighty to Sovereign. Now that's not a problem, that's not a problem until you realize that Calvinists and Arminians have their own definition of sovereignty. But loved ones when you read the passages of Scripture that where the word sovereignty is used there is never a definition of sovereignty. In fact uh, the word Sovereign or Sovereignty doesn't even appear in the King James Bible. Now, the concept does. You know, rapture's not in the Bible and Trinity's not in the Bible, but the concepts are. The concept of sovereignty is in the Bible, but I'm going to tell you the Church of Jesus Christ is split um, theologically between Calvinists and Arminians, and both of them put their doctrinal stance. I've lost you tonight, haven't I? I'm sorry. They, 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 define their, they define their existence and their stance by saying, because God is sovereign, we know this. And the fact of the matter is, we know nothing. We know nothing. The only thing we can draw from Scripture about sovereignty is that God is all-powerful. But what do Calvinists do? If He's all-powerful, then He's got power to do this. And Arminians say, and we're, we're Arminians in our church, if God's all-powerful, but His power is to do this. And we we say, "Well, God can do anything. The fact of the matter is, God can't do anything. I mean everything, because He can never do something contrary to his nature. God cannot sin. God cannot be tempted with evil. Now we get silly with questions, well, if God can do anything, can God make a rock that God can't pick up? You know <laughs> If He wants to I mean but I I like what one theologian said. He said, God being all powerful or God being sovereign means this, all that he intends to do, he does. All that he intends to do, he does. There is a great mystery associated with the ways of God in general and with sovereignty in particular. Be careful what teaching you embrace about sovereignty because 98% of the teaching on sovereignty is not biblical teaching on sovereignty. It's taking a word and saying, if God has all power, then it means he can do this. It's a, it's a system, not a biblical teaching. Um, But there's a great mystery there. Uh, There's a a blog that says this, for the Arminian God's sovereignty means that nothing happens in the universe that God does not allow. Well I, I believe that. He allows it but I don't believe He ordains it. Okay. For the Arminian God permits sin but does not decree sin. But even as God permits sin He uses it to accomplish His purpose. God, Arminians say, also prevents gratuitous evil if good cannot come out of it. I would agree with that. The Calvinist believes that God knows the future because He decrees the future. Now, we don't don't hold to that view called Calvinism. Uh, They're not evil. R.T. Kendall is one of the strongest Calvinists I know. And he is my dear, dear friend. I don't think R.T. is evil. Um, um, Determinism... Is inherent in God's sovereignty according to Calvinism. The thought that nothing happens apart from the specific direction of God. So because God has determined the future, he can know it. In other words, a Calvinist says, God is sovereign, which means he has decreed everything that will happen: the good, the bad, and the ugly. Some will be preordained to heaven, some will be preordained to hell. To the Calvinist mind, God decrees everything. So everything that happens from the flapping of a butterfly's wings to the accepting or rejecting of the gospel is from the decree of God. And there are scriptures that sound like that. The Arminian believes that God knows the future, not because He has decreed it, but because He is transcendent. He is outside of time and able to see past, present, and future without necessarily impacting it. While Armenians believe, uh, do believe that most of the future, without um, necessarily being decreed by God, they do leave room for the decree for the free will actions of humanity, with God not violating the freedom He's given His creatures. God knows all of the possible choices I might make, as well as which one I actually make, and plans accordingly. Now, there's a th- so you so you have a Calvinistic view of Um, And and I'm not being fair. I'm painting with such broad strokes of the brush. And for those of you that are Calvinists and say you're not being fair, I've got got two graduate degrees from Calvinistic seminaries. I do understand Calvinism. I just don't agree with it. I, I, I I don't think it's right. But what I'm trying to say is that Calvinism says God decrees everything. And everything that happens is because God has decreed it. An Arminian says God knows everything. He is transcendent. Um, uh, an Arminian says that God looks at past, present, and future as though it was in a box. And He knows the past, the present, and the future. And He knows what will happen. And when we come to issues like uh, predestination, and when we come uh, to the foreknowledge of God, a Calvinist says God is responsible for this person's choice and God is responsible for this person's choice because he has decreed it. An Arminian, which is what our church is, says God allows men and women to make their own decisions and he, he understands what they will do so he knows the future. But you say, doesn't God predestine his church? Yes, but we believe that it's predestined according to His foreknowledge, not according to decree. The Bible does teach that whoever gives their heart to Jesus is preordained or predestined for heaven, but we do not believe that teaches that God says you will go to heaven and you will go to hell. Um, I, you know, I asked a professor. I, I said, "That's that's." That could be perceived as unfair. He said that God would save any of us is more than we deserve. But I didn't agree with him. Uh, in fact, he also told me that anybody that's not a Calvinist is believing another gospel. And according to Paul in Galatians, uh, let him be accursed. So he said, "I don't even know if you're saved." So <laughs> I said, "Well, y'all sure are taking a lot of money, you know. <laughs> if I'm a lost cause." You say, you say, Pastor, why are you talking about this complex stuff? Because I think it makes all the difference in the world if we are in a world where God decrees the good, the bad, and the ugly. Or if God knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. And works in the context of our decisions. I think that's a huge thing. Now there's also a Very popular teaching called open theism that teaches that God does not know the future exhaustively. Uh, They say for one reason or another God can't know, and that that's why things are constantly changing, because God is Almighty, but He doesn't know what Corey's going to do, and so that's why Corey's life um, won't be won't be able to be touched by God until it's over. Uh, I, to me, it's, it's, it's the most ridiculous teaching of the sovereignty of God that is out there the idea that God's sovereign, but He doesn't know everything. Um, we believe that the Scripture makes clear that God is omniscient. You say, Pastor, why, where are you trying to take us tonight? Well, what I'm trying to say is this We serve a God, we serve a God that, in my opinion, has not decreed. you say, well, what about this passage? What about that passage? Remember, doctrine is built on all scriptures, not one or two or three. We believe that God has predestined those who love Him to eternal life in in this sense. Not that God says, Justin, I predetermine that you will go to Heaven. Corey, I predetermine that you will go to Hell. God says to everyone that responds something goes in motion at that moment. You're predestined. I've made up my mind. You give your heart to me. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you to heaven. That's, I believe, is the nature of predestination. I believe we are predestined according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, I don't think being a Calvinist or Arminian will condemn you to hell or promote you to heaven. They're, they're just theological systems. But I think it is so important that we understand that there is a God who is not wanting anyone to perish. And we serve a Jesus who died as a sacrifice for whosoever will may come. We don't believe that the free, free moral agency of man is just an image or, or, a, or a charade or a facade. We believe that whosoever will may come. And whosoever doesn't come is lost. But at the heart of it we have a God who is fervently, energetically, uh, non-stop working so that whosoever will may know Him. Now, with that being said, I have to stop tonight. But if, if before we leave, we're going to dismiss you within, within 90 seconds. But if there's anybody here tonight that does not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior... I want you to know you are are given the opportunity to respond. To accept Jesus as your Lord. Maybe you came with a good friend that's a member of the church here. Talk to them if you want to. If you don't want to come up and talk to one of the pastors, talk to them before you leave tonight. Or come up and talk to one of the pastors. Corey's up here. Justin's up here. I'm up here. We're here for you. And if you want to give your heart to Jesus, this would be a great night to do it. Okay, we're, we're some heavy stuff. But I believe in God, the Almighty Father, the Creator of heaven and earth. That's step one. Father, be with us. Bless us as we go. Help us to take very seriously this issue of the God whom we serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Bless you. Thank you for being here tonight.